Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Max. This week, hoarding disorder and why it's not as simple as just throwing all that stuff out. This is not drama or exaggeration. You can put someone into a psychotic break by going in and doing a cleanup behind their back. And I have seen that happen. The Overwhelmed Hoarder, when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. When I introduce myself, I'm a caregiver. I feel a little bit embarrassed, and I don't know why. What it's like to work in the burgeoning senior care industry. They were talking a lot about Hermione, which I think really encompasses what the feminist movement has turned into for millennials, especially. How do you view Hermione Granger from Harry Potter? I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station and subscribe and listen to shows anytime on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. The gifts have been unwrapped and taken home. Some of us may have a little trouble finding space in the dresser drawer for that new sweater or a place on the counter for that smart speaker. But around 5% of Americans may take it to another level. Their Christmas gifts may be stacked on the pile of other unopened boxes that reach to the ceiling, cluttering up entire rooms. But those on the outside, even some relatives, may never know. People with hoarding disorder are really embarrassed about the items in their home and they don't have people over. Dr. Carolyn Rodriguez is Associate Professor and Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Individuals with hoarding disorder, what's notable about them is a level of disorganization. So things that belong in the garage or in the kitchen, in the kitchen or in the bathroom, and the sheer volume of things make it so that you really can't move around in the living spaces. I was speaking to a firefighter the other day who had lost one of his colleagues because it's a big problem when people with hoarding disorder put items in their stove or store things that are very flammable, like collecting a lot of paper. And when there's a fire, the first responders go in and they don't have an idea of how that space is. And when something is on fire and there are big piles that are over your head, they have the possibility to cave in. That kind of accumulation often comes in part from an inability to stop shopping. Maybe they have a half dozen of the same item on the shelf, all still unopened. Maybe they shop online for things they don't really need. However, the one trait that seems to be universal among those with hoarding disorder is the inability to get rid of things the way most people can. All of us have attachments to objects and items, but for some people, that attachment to items is so strong, they have a lot of difficulty letting go of items. This is not to be confused with things that are collecting. Collecting is a pleasureful activity. People are proud to show off their possession. There's one study of British adults that shows that 30% really enjoy this collecting. And so we don't want to confuse hoarding disorder with collecting. But where does collecting stop and hoarding begin? 
Three criteria exist for identifying hoarding disorder, according to Elaine Birchall, a social worker specializing in hoarding disorder and co-author of the book Conquer the Clutter, Strategies to Identify, Manage, and Overcome Hoarding. First, she says there obviously needs to be excessive accumulation of things. Second, the accumulation has to interfere with life. Some or all of the living spaces can't be used for their intended purpose. You're still living in the environment, but you're making some pretty unusual, life-changing, life-altering, life-limiting adaptations. The third criteria is somebody's upset, they're distressed, or if they knew the truth about the condition of the property, they would have cause to be concerned and distressed. Among those likely to be upset about a person's hoarding? Relatives, of course, but more critical, perhaps, are neighbors. Rodriguez says they're probably in more danger from hoarding behavior than the hoarder him or herself. Everybody's entitled to keep things in their home, but when it violates building code, you know, just the sheer volume of stuff in an apartment can warp the floorboards. We talked about safety hazard. We haven't talked about pest infestation, but that's something that is a public health concern and can affect neighbors. So there is some guidance and code enforcement that needs to happen as well. Authorities may also intervene when children are endangered. Living in a hoarded environment does change children's lives and not for the better. Their developmental stages can't be met appropriately and on time. So it does set them back. And the other thing about children growing up in a hoarded environment is that legacy of the stuff seeming to mean more than they are, that isn't a legacy that they can get beyond easily, and they often carry that through their whole life. The scars may be felt in a variety of ways. Among them, these kids are more likely to suffer from hoarding disorder themselves for a couple of reasons. We know, depending on whose research you listen to and you read, anywhere from 50 to 84 percent of individuals who hoard have a first-degree family relative who hoards, mother, father, sister, brother. We also know that there are three chromosomes with markers in common. We actually know what those chromosomes are, four, five, and seven. We know that the power of modeling behavior just exponentially magnifies the impact of genetic predisposition to hoarding. Birchall says the second path to hoarding behavior comes from a variety of comorbidities, other disorders that increase the risk. could be ADD, ADHD, depression and anxiety. It could be bipolar, schizophrenia, autism, Asperger's, social anxiety. There are a host of addictions. And so the other physical health um, conditions are MS and Parkinson's because at a certain point in the deterioration of those diseases, it's not unusual to develop a cognitive impairment, which then puts you at a higher risk for starting to clutter, starting to make decisions that lead to hoarding disorder. However, Birchall says a lot of people without those disorders may be vulnerable if the wrong circumstances occur. I believe that most are vulnerable to this. And that is, you're just one of those individuals who is either chronically or repeatedly overwhelmed 
or chronically or repeatedly disorganized. You don't have to be tremendously disorganized, tremendously overwhelmed. It's just an ongoing thing that you, you fight. And then you become vulnerable. Some noxious event occurs, a setback. And that happens to everybody. Either a big one, and it totally overwhelms the person, brings them to their knees. Or sometimes it's not a big event. It's a series of smaller ones. Hoarding disorder carries a great deal of stigma, made worse by the TV shows that highlight its devastating impact. The disorder is still difficult for many people to understand. Birchall says virtually all of those she's worked with admit they're overwhelmed by all their stuff. But Rodriguez says they don't use the word hoarder. Instead, many call themselves finders or keepers. They can't throw anything away because to them, it all has immense value. If I, you know, came to your home and I gave you so many ancient artifacts and treasures, so many that we just stuffed your whole living room with these like priceless artifacts. And then uh, a week later, I say, you know, it's really hard to like get in and use the space. Let's just throw some of these things away. You may feel I don't want to speak for you, but you may feel mortified, like, my goodness, like, these are ancient artifacts. We can't possibly throw these in the trash. And so that is a little bit the experience of somebody who, in their mind, is something extremely valuable. It's a treasure. However, for many people with hoarding disorder, the emotional attachment goes even farther than that. Well-meaning relatives may not understand it. They may see their family member's home and think that if you simply clean up the clutter and throw it all out, everything will be okay. But that might be the worst thing they can do. You want to have a mental health professional available for that person because the remediated environment is extremely destabilizing. You can, this is not drama or exaggeration, you can put someone into a psychotic break by going in and doing a cleanup behind their back. And I have seen that happen with clients who have come to me after that's happened. They actually had to be hospitalized. They had to be kept. They had to be on a suicide watch for 72 hours because of the trauma. You had a case of an individual who was away on a trip, and I think the neighbors didn't know, and when they looked in, they thought that he had passed away. So they cleaned out his home, and when he came back from his travels, he was so distraught that he actually committed suicide. Birchall says cleaning up a hoarding environment behind a person's back also shatters their trust in those who ordered it, and no amount of making nice will ever patch it up. And you are probably creating a situation where that person will be a lot more cautious about becoming visible, about leaving themselves open to being discovered. And I can guarantee you, I put my last dollar down on this one, that hoarded environment is going to be recreated, not out of stubbornness, but you've missed the point when you've done that. It will be created worse and it will be created faster than it was the first time. Rodriguez says experts are just beginning to understand hoarding disorder. However, they do know that throwing things away isn't the way to treat it, just as throwing away bottles doesn't treat alcoholism. She says hoarding disorder needs the same level of psychological attention. 
Medications can help, though none are indicated for hoarding disorders yet. Treatments may also include cognitive behavioral therapy. That involves helping individuals examine the way they think and behave and to change the thought process or behaviors that may be problematic. So the elements that are specific to hoarding disorder include skills like restricting acquiring, like going to a flea market and practicing not getting things, practicing sorting, practicing discarding, challenging the thoughts and beliefs about an attachment to an item. So one thought may be, you know, I can't part with this because what if I need it someday? But yet the individual will have like 50 duplicates of that item. The other is a peer-led support group called Buried in Treasures that has some evidence-based studies. And these are support groups. They follow the cognitive behavioral format and practice these kinds of activities. Birchall says respect for the person with hoarding disorder is extremely important as well. With support, they may ultimately be able to make a decision about their things that they couldn't before. But it's the relationship with things that has to be worked on, not just the clutter. You can find out more about Elaine Birchall's workbook approach through her book, Conquer the Clutter, on her website, hoarding.ca. You can also find more links and information about all our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. I'm Reed Pence. Holiday celebrations are often joyous occasions, but they can be challenging for the millions of people living with Alzheimer's disease and those who care for them. The hustle and bustle of the holidays can be stressful for those with Alzheimer's, and changes in the daily routine, large gatherings, and noisy environments can create extra anxiety. Monica Marino, Senior Director of Care and Support at the Alzheimer's Association, has some tips to make the holidays enjoyable. First, plan ahead. Prepare the hosts for special needs, such as a quiet room for the person to rest. If you're hosting, let guests know what to expect before they arrive. Since crosstalk and multiple conversations can be challenging for people living with Alzheimer's, try engaging the person one-on-one or in smaller groups and keep them involved in the celebrations. Marino also suggests experimenting with new traditions. For example, if evening confusion and agitation are a problem, turn your holiday dinner into a holiday lunch or brunch. Find out more tips at ALZ.org. Paid non-attorney spokesperson paid for by the Sentinel Group. Attention military vets and current soldiers who served between 2002 to 2016. Have you or a loved one suffered hearing loss or tinnitus after serving or while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces? You may be entitled to compensation. 3M, the manufacturer of earplugs made for combat, recently paid the government $9.1 million to settle a False Claims Act case for knowingly selling these defective earplugs for over a decade. Specifically, the United States argued that the manufacturer knew their earplugs were too short for proper insertion into users' ears and that the earplugs could loosen and therefore didn't perform properly or reduce noise the way they should have. If you or a loved one suffered hearing loss or tinnitus after serving or while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces, you need to choose the right legal team that has the experience, support staff, and resources to seek the most compensation for your injuries. Call the Sentinel Group now for more information and a free case review. Call 800-655-6458. 800-655-6458. That's 800-655-6458. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. 
It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free, and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Radio Health Journal is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. We wait too long to have these conversations, to talk about these things. You know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we are all going to get older. The biggest mistakes in navigating the decline of aging for our loved ones or ourselves. Then telling lies, it may happen a lot more than we think. Some people lie a great deal, and some people lie very rarely, if at all. The problem there is, if they're lying, why should they tell you the truth about how often they lie? All that and more on Radio Health Journal.